Mark, like I said at the very beginning of week one, if you remember, it's my favorite gospel because it's short to the point. Now I'm kind of going through it going, I need to go through the rest of the gospels to get some more detail because there's a lot of Mark that is not in there uh, for one reason or another. But I think Mark was written for people like me who wants to read something in a short amount of time and feel like I accomplished something, right? That's why I like short stories and not those big grand 2,000-page novels. Um, but we're going to be in Mark 14 today. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, maybe a little bit different than your translation. Maybe you have the NIV or the King James, New King James. But um, I want you to I want to be very honest. I'm looking forward to this message. I'm looking forward to this chapter because in light of what Mark 13 is about, does anybody remember last week's message? Um, it is a very debated chapter, and uh, I had a blast, but I like preaching where people are going, I feel like we accomplished something. I, I, I felt like last week was fun. It was, I guess, one-sided debate, you know, no one else debated me, but it was for fun. It was kind of to challenge you to get into the Word of God, just dig dig deep and see where, uh, what, you know, what's, uh, what's the, the chapter all about. But chapter 14, you are not going to have to take a deep breath because it's a fun one, it's a good one, it's a challenging one, but it's a story that you already know. How many guys like reading the Bible of a story you already could finish the sentence and the thought? Okay, I, I do this every time that I read something like this is I say, Lord, help me to read it like it's brand new. Do you get, anybody else do that when you're reading the Bible? Because if you don't, you start finishing verses. You know, John 3.16, you barely read it because you know how it ends. You don't even have to read the Bible. You just have to kind of go, and God so loved the, and so I, I really want you guys, as I'm reading this, not just to be a history lesson, I, I'm going to challenge you at the very, and it's, it's going to be the so what question at the end of this. And so what I want to do is I'm going to read the first 11 verses in its entirety, and then we're going to dig deep in that. So everybody in Mark 14, if it's not, it's, if you're not, then it's going to be on the screen. And uh, if I, I want you to be challenged, and that's what, that's my goal is that you'd be challenged, and it's a fun little story. It's kind of, it's sandwiched, there's a good story sandwiched by two specific stories that are ridiculously uh, sad. So you'll see what I mean. Mark 14, verse 1 through 11, it says, It was now two days before Passover and the festival unleavened, unleavened bread. So pause. This was a reason for celebration. I'm not Jewish, but I want you to, I want you to imagine that you're preparing your heart for an event. Okay. Let's just use church, the church service on Sunday. You should, and I should be preparing my heart, uh, to go to the church service with the church, right? We shouldn't just be going here to worship. We should already be worshiping. Okay. That should be our focus throughout the week. And so in this instance, it was two days before this feast, this worship, this festival, Passover, and look at the leading priests and teachers of religious law. Imagine if the priests of today, the pastors of today, the leaders of today, the Jewish people, the all these people who are you would look up to spiritually, and what do you expect them to be doing right before a worship service? You expect them to be preparing the, the service, right? Okay, this is we want to make it so people are going to love the worship service. They're going to be able to connect with God. That's the goal. But to look at what they're doing. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. 
So while they're supposed to be worshiping, while they're supposed to be preparing their hearts, they're focused on trying to capture Jesus as they have done for a few chapters now in the, in the book of Mark. And that's what they're focused on. Now, you may not be focused on that in your life, but I want you to, I'm going to throw this out as a, as a little nugget of uh, truth or a question that you can ask yourself. What are you focused on so much throughout the week that by the time that you get to a corporate gathering like us right here, that you can either see Jesus for the glorious person that he is, or you can see him as someone that's in the way of your own glory. That's exactly what the problem is. So he goes, he, they're, they're secretly going to kill him, but not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot because they don't, they care about man's opinion. And I know nobody in this room cares about man's opinion. You care more about God's opinion than man's opinion. Like, just simple as me raising my hands. Do you have to raise your hands to worship? No. But it was an act of obedience to God when I was a teenager, and I was afraid of what people were going to say right behind me. And then one day, a thought popped in my head. Who cares? They already think Joel Bremer is weird. So why not just go with it? And instead of them being weird, they're like, Welcome to the club of people who love to worship Jesus. And that's exactly what it was. But they may riot. That would be bad. Meanwhile, and this, this thing's cut off here, Jesus was in Bethany. He was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously been had leprosy. So where is Simon at? How is Simon doing right now? He's doing great. He used to have leprosy. Look, he had a story. He has a story. He has he had leprosy. Jesus healed him. Now he has a story about God's faithfulness, about the goodness of Christ. And now he's saying, Jesus, come back to Bethany and go hang out with me in my house and have dinner. That's an, that's an act of, uh, of, of fellowship. That's an act of, in a sense, worship. Jesus, you can come to my house. Invade my house. Because when you, in, when you have someone invade your house, it's an, it really is an act of friendship of companionship, of, if you want to call it intimacy, that's what Simon was like. And while he was eating, Jesus is eating probably like a pig. Okay, not to, that's a horrible pun. That's not what I mean. He's not eating pig, but he's eating, he's eating a nice good salad. And then a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. How many of us are already familiar with the story? It's in, it's, you read the Gospels, you're going to find it. Okay, this was a very sinful woman. Doesn't say that. This is a very this act is very scandalous. Doesn't say that except for how they react. But the way that she does this, I want you to remember, this is something that is this is this is not what good people do. They're very proper. You don't you women. They're over here. Men. They're going to eat. Men are going to do men things. They're going to be chit chatting at the table, pigging out. Women are going to be out here doing other things. But she sneaks in here. She breaks open the jar. She pours the perfume over his head. And some of those, everybody say some. Not all. There's some good people at the table. I, I didn't notice that before. I thought it was it's all his disciples just being mad. No, some. I think Judas Iscariot, but that's another gospel. He's like, I, I'm in charge of the money. So he, he, she wasted the money that we could have had. See, why... Waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages 
and the money given to the poor. Pause. I want to state the obvious here. The expense and the value of this perfume. I don't get it. I don't wear perfume. I'm a male, but I wear deodorant, and it costs a little more now than it did this time last year, but it's not a year's wages. I want you to imagine that I bought for very cheap a baseball card. Or let's just use the Honus Wagner baseball card that every kid, if you collect baseball cards, it is the most valuable baseball card. Did you guys know that? Like it's like, it's the Honus Wagner baseball card. If I had it, I'd be set. Guaranteed. I wouldn't need to work a day again. But imagine if I took that baseball card and I can't really equate it to breaking over a jar, but I went to Jesus. I said, look at this right here. You are more valuable than this Honus Wagner baseball card. And I ripped it. Or if I had, if I had uh, the Spider-Man issue number one, that was a dream of mine too. And his previous, I think it's the amazing uh, whatever it's called that he was in, that would be worth a lot too. But I ripped it up in front of Jesus and I said, you're worth more than this year's wages. You're worth more than this baseball card. You are, are worth it. And everybody here, maybe not you, but some people here would say, you know, pastor, you could have sold that baseball card. You could have sold that comic book and you could have lived off of that for a few years, you know. Jesus understands. He, he, would, he gets it. He knows you need money. Who doesn't need money? We all need money. In fact, I need money so much, I decide to go to work tomorrow. I can't wait. Do you think I'm getting up at 5.30 in the morning because I want to? No. But why waste such an expensive perfume, they ask. It could have been given, it could be sold for a year's wages, so it's at least worth a year's wages. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus, and I love this, but Jesus... Every time it says, but Jesus, you know, usually sometimes it's a bad thing. Sometimes it's a good thing. I like this. It's a good thing. But Jesus, he said, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing what? Such a good thing for me, to me. Whatever she did, she broke open, opened a jar, poured it over his head and anointed him, blessed him. She wa- wasted it, if you want to call it that. But Jesus said, what she did was not wasted. It was a good thing. Worship, seeing the value of who Jesus is, seeing the glory and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus, always a good thing. Especially if you're in a situation like her where everybody's kind of looking down upon her. Like, you don't see it here, but it's not only a waste, but the woman is scandalous. The woman is like, get out of my house. Simon could have said that because he goes, now I'm clean. I don't need sinful people in my presence. Get thee away from me. You may get away from my presence, right? And that's not what he did. I, 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 I can't prove it. I think Simon, I believe that he was the one that said, open the door. We need people like her here. I used to be that way. Jesus healed me. And that's exactly what's going on here. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing? You will always have the poor among you, and you can always help them whenever you want to. But you will not always have me. Again, he's been preparing them for his departure. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. 2,000 years later, this continues to be very true. Okay? In fact, I bet you you, uh, Peter... 
was there, who was the guy who was probably in charge of telling Mark what was going on, he goes, ah, Holy Spirit will help me, but let me write that down really quick and put it in my pocket. I got to remember this story because he said that people will be talking about it forever. And that's exactly true. So that's a great story, but look at how it ends. This is sandwiched, this good deed is sandwiched between two horrific things. And it's not an accident. It was put like that on purpose because the author wants us to focus on what really matters. What do we value? What do we value? What's, what is the most valuable thing in my life? For her, Jesus was at least worth more than a year's wages. In my, look, I don't want, this is not about money. This sermon's not about money so everybody can just breathe. We did that a few weeks ago, you know. Um, so I won't talk about money again. That's not my point. But would I, would Joel, would I be willing to give up and sacrifice a year's wage for the sake of Jesus Christ? I wish this pulpit was a lot bigger because I would sneak underneath it. I wish we had that wooden one that used to be here. But uh, I, this is great. But look at this. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priest to arrange to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted when they had heard why he had come. And they promised to give him money. How much money do you remember? 30 pieces of silver. Ding, ding, ding. Right? Good. You have been reading the Bible. Okay? 30 pieces of silver. So according to Judas Iscariot, I just threw this out as I was reading this earlier this week. According to Judas Iscariot, Jesus is worth less than 30 pieces of silver. That's pathetic. Sad. What is Jesus worth it? To, what's Jesus worth to, what's he, what's he worth to me? Is he worth giving my entire life over to him or not? See, they were delighted when they heard why he come and they promised to give him money. So he, Judas, began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. I'm going to find a time where I can go. <laughs> Jesus at the Last Supper, Jesus goes, the person that's going to dip the bread in the bowl with me is the one that's going to betray me. And Judas at the same time is like looking up going, uh-oh, not me, not me. No, this is a coincidence. Hold on, throw the bread down. But he's looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Now, I want you to think about the most valuable thing that you have in your life. Your home, your car, your family, your friends, your church, yourself. Because there's, we have some valuable things. When I was a kid, baseball cards was going to be my secret to my retirement at 20. My Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, I always wanted the upper deck one because that was worth $100. The one that I had, tops, was worth $5. It's worth $3 right now. And that was years ago. But I, don't, I decided one day to say, to allow my mom to give them away. I didn't really allow her. She just did it anyway. But beside the point, I'm, I'm okay with that now. But in 2013, not in my life, but it's a true story. In Manassas, Virginia, a painting was bought at Goodwill. How many of us love Goodwill? You're a Goodwill fan? When I was a kid, it was embarrassing to go places like that, use stuff. These days, it's a treasure trove of could-be-valuable stuff. It could be junk too, just throwing that out. But in 2013, Manassas, Virginia, a painting was bought at Goodwill for $7.95. A little too expensive for me because the painting is of, of a smiling 
elderly woman sipping tea. She is, she, I see, it's like, okay, I mean, if I pretend it's my grandma, maybe I'd be like, that would be cool. If my grandma's picture was on it, I may put it up and go, grandma, nana, but I don't call her grandma, nana. I love, and, but to me, I look at the painting, I'm going, ordinary. I wouldn't pay two pennies for it. Maybe a penny, because I give it to one of you guys. Merry Christmas. But she writes, she, she, she buys this painting, and it looks ordinary. It's fairly cheap, if you want to call it. But the painting turned out to be from the 19th century from Italian painter. I'd look him up if this is true. It's a true story. And I'll mess up this Italian name. Giovanni Battista Toriglia. You like that? I practiced that four times at least out loud because I was like, blah, 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 blah. you know, the Giovanni Battista Torrigliglia. You know, I was doing that. But it's a true painting. And someone looked at this painting and it looked to be authentic. And it's not the most valuable thing, but it was valued at over $12,000. For a $795 investment, that's a good thing. I may do that and sell it for a profit. I may sell it for $5,000 just to get a quick 5000 because somebody would buy it. So maybe the next time I'm at Goodwill, what do I do when I go to Goodwill? She goes around the entire place. What do I do? I go right to the corner of the books in the books section. I go through the books and it's the same stuff as last time. And I'm going, okay, this one, this one, this one. And I'm done. And then I go over to her and she goes, oh, what now? And I'm done. This is my sign that I'm ready to go. Anybody else there? Right? You just go, right? I am not a big fan, but next time you better believe I'm going through the record collection. I'm going through the eight track collection. I'm going through the cassettes and the CDs and the DVDs and, and the paintings. I may look for this painting, this Italian painter about a woman that's sipping tea and it's worth $12,000. But I thought about this thing. This thing probably sat there for a long time because to be honest, I don't want to be sound rude but it's an elderly lady sipping tea with a smile on her face. I don't even know what she's smiling at. It's just tea, you know? But I bet you the painter was over there and he's all, you know, and she's all smiling. That's, <laughs> but she, she, <laughs> what? Oh, okay, I'm embarrassed, lady. That's good. I win. Um, see, it seemed like an ordinary painting. Nothing special about it from the outward appearance. But she was willing to dig out her purse and dig out her wallet and pay $7.95, which isn't a big deal. But she said, that painting, for some reason, is valuable enough for her that I'm going to spend my hard-earned money to buy that thing. Because she saw the value in that painting that everyone else would ignore. They walk right past that thing. I guarantee it because when we go to Goodwill and there are times that we go past that back wall has paintings, right, with the records right underneath it. Sometimes we'll go, and I'm looking going, this is the same stuff that was here in 2003, right? Maybe not exactly, but I mean, I'm sure it is. But you got to find the value in stuff that everyone else ignores. And the fact is, it kind of reminds me of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you today about the fact that Jesus is worth it all. He's worth it all. He's worth following. He's not worth just a little bit so that we go to church and we go to, we go to heaven. That's it. He's worth following after him. And we say, here's my agenda. Here's my kingdom. Here's my life. It means nothing to me now. Which, that doesn't preach well. 
What preaches well is, you know what? You follow Christ, you're going to get it all. You're going to have it all. God's going to bless you so much that you're going to have over. I mean, my house is going to turn into a swimming pool of money. And I look at the value of Jesus and going, do I value, as silly as that is, that kind of experience? It's all about me. Or do I value Jesus enough that it really isn't about me? But I know that doesn't preach well. It doesn't. We're human. The fact is, Jesus is worth it all. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? There's a couple things. Number one, a follower of Jesus is someone who sees, responds to the glory and the value and the worth and the majesty and the beauty of Jesus Christ. I added all those words later. But if you're, if you're a note taker, a follower of Jesus is someone who sees and responds to the glory and the worth of Jesus Christ. He's worth it. You not only, you not only see it and go, yep, he's very valuable, but you respond to it. I am guilty of seeing the glory of God and seeing the value of who he really is in my life and going, eh, I don't have time. I'm too tired. I'm too lazy. I won't make you raise your hand, but how many of us are lazy when it comes to God? Someone's honest. Thank you. Not you. You are honest, but at that moment. See, I look at myself and I go, I want to serve Jesus with everything, but I just can't. And I make all sorts, I can name excuses right now, but a follower of Jesus is someone who sees the glory of God, who experiences the beauty of God, who sees who Jesus really is and how good he is, and they respond to him because it's all about him. It's about his kingdom. It's about his glory. It's about making him known and not little old me. Because I put these on YouTube. Listen, if I'm lucky, this may get 100 views. And when I get 100 views, I'm like, Oh, I'm getting more popular this week. Oh, man. Because my worst sermon has had like 30 or 15 views or something like that. The book of Mark has been getting a little bit more. And I can see the value in that, the view. Why is that? Because, oh, guess what? People are going to hear Pastor Joel speak. Wow. As if that really matters. As if that really matters. That people look at me and go, wow. Either A, He's hyper, which I'm not. Or B, man, he's really enthusiastic today. Or C, and he's really not doing that good. And I can see the value in that. I can see the value in how many people show up on a Sunday. Oh, this place is packed. They've all come to see me preach. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be signing my book in the back. I don't have a book, but... I've got three chapters of a book that's in that room over there, still sitting there for like 10, 12 years. But I'll sign it if you need it. It'll be where it's going to cost you $100. Um, hey, you got to make money wherever you can. No, see, this lady, she sacrificed expensive perfume because Jesus is worth it all. It would have done her better to sell it. It would have been better for her personally to sell the perfume and then say, oh, I don't need to give it to the poor. I am the poor. She could have lived for another year without worrying about money, but she realized when she broke into that party, because I guarantee she wasn't invited because they were already eating. She was late to the party. And she broke it over his head, and everybody's like, you got to be kidding me. Do you know who that is? She, she sacrificed it because Jesus is worth it all. 
if we're really following Jesus, and I'm asking myself this, Pastor Joel, I don't call myself Pastor Joel, I just say Joel. I don't even say my name to me. I know who I am. But I say, do I see the value? Because if I'm following Jesus, I'm going to see the value. I'm going to see the worth. I'm going to see the majesty. I'm going to see the beauty. I'm going to, I'm going to glorify and magnify his name. I'm going to make it him well known in this area. I'm going to let them know this is an awesome, amazing God who changed my life. And you need to, you need to follow the same God. I can't ignore him. He cannot be ignored. When Jesus is walking this earth, love him or hate him, he could not be ignored. He cannot be ignored. He's more precious than gold, silver. He's more precious than some painting. He's more precious than my baseball card collection that I used to have that my mom gave away. Actually, one time when we were, I was getting ready to move out, my bedroom had a, like a hole in, in the wall. And as I was getting ready to leave, to move out and go to college, I put a bunch of baseball stuff in there that I thought was valuable in that wall. I remember that because I know my dad was going to fix the hole. Me and my brother would fight, you know, and me, put an elbow into the wall. You guys never did that with your family, but me and my twin brother, we, you know. But um, I would love to go back to that house and, like, break open that thing. And I can't remember what I put in there. I know I did baseball cards. Probably not a Ken Griffey Jr., but probably like a Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, those people that I used to like. Um, but in the story that we read today, we see a woman that sees the value of Jesus that the other disciples cannot see. In fact, I find it very curious that the disciples have a problem with this because they're willing to give to sacrifice three years of their life they're willing to get rid of their family business and walk away from their family businesses and their tax collector booths and all this thing to follow this carpenter for three years and this lady brings them expensive perfume and they have a big cow over it. I mean, you're willing to give up three years of your life for Jesus, but you're not willing to give up this nice perfume thing that it, did, it was worth money, but apparently they said that honestly inside in their heart, they said Jesus isn't really worth it. Maybe they followed Jesus because they didn't know what else to do. Maybe they followed Jesus because they thought he was going to lead them to the, he, their fishing and they, they didn't catch anything. And they thought he would keep fishing for them. When he said, I'm going to turn you into fishers of men, they think, ooh, that must mean we get a lot of fish. They may have done that. But see, I want you to look at how Mark writes a story. The story opens up with religious people plotting to kill Jesus. The story is followed by Judas Iscariot, who is helping these people plot to kill Jesus. He's going to go, I'm going to grab him really quick. We know the story. He kisses him. The guy who I kiss, that's the guy that you need to arrest. See, this woman recognizes the value and the worth of the glory of God. He's worth it all. The question really is, and I try to do this every story that I can, narrative. Who am I in that story? Who are you in that story? Are you, I hope you're not a Judas Iscariot. Are you this woman? Are you this Simon who's been healed and you're saying, come on, Jesus, I want you here. I want to be with you forever. Or are you like the religious people who you're so about yourself? Listen, you know what the problem with these religious people were? They were all about their own glory. 
And you know who was in the way of their glory? Jesus was in their, it was in their way. And that's why they had to kill him. Because if Jesus really is who he says he is, we're, we're not going to really matter anymore. And they could not grasp that. And so who are you? Is Jesus worth it all? Or do you ignore the worth and the value of Jesus Christ? See, look at, I want to go back to verse 1 and 2. It says, it was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the Passover celebration. They agreed, it, or the people may riot. See, this should be a day of celebration. This should be a day of worship. This is a Jewish festival that centuries they celebrated. And for two years, or for two days, people were, at least for two days, they were preparing the feast, the festival, baking all this stuff. They're, they're doing all this stuff to get ready, but the people in charge of the entire thing are busy doing something that's evil. And I look at myself in the story, and I might not equate myself with those people, hopefully, but am I so busy doing something so good in my life that I ignore the goal? The very God that they're trying to celebrate is the God that, they're going to, that they want to kill. It's ironic. It's sad. See, their biggest concern was to kill Jesus. Their second biggest concern was public opinion. Let's do it, but let's do it in secret. The third, the third concern was their own glory. What's your biggest concern in your life? If someone were to show up to your house or your job and they were just to look at you for just, they were fly on the wall, what's your biggest concern? What's your biggest worry? What's your biggest focus? Is it Jesus or is it other things? That was one way of living. The other way of living was verse three. See, Meanwhile, what does that mean? At the same time, so there's something evil going on in the world right here. But meanwhile, to contrast that story with something great, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. She broke open the jar and she poured the perfume over his head. There, I want you to think about this. The first story is supposed to be a celebration. Preparation for a celebration. But they're doing something different. It's supposed to be worship. But it's something different. This right here, it's a house. Very ordinary, simple. It's a meal. Jesus sitting down eating. Simon, Judas Iscariot. I didn't mean, I pointed a random person back there. You know, Judas Iscariot. And what are they doing? Feasting, celebrating, worshiping. That's what this lady's doing. What is she doing? She's worshiping. She's anointing Jesus. He, she said, I, I know that this is more, this is, this is very valuable, but Jesus is more valuable than even this. That at, I'm just going to break that and anoint his head because it is a celebration. It's preparing for his burial, his death and his burial, and his resurrection are very important to hit to her. What she did was scandalous. It wasn't only an intimate thing that she did. People would not have liked the act, and they didn't like the waste. But 
this may be the takeaway for some of us. She didn't care about man's opinion. She didn't care about Judas Iscariot's opinion. My opinion is that the person that was really a, had the big cow over it was Judas Iscariot, the money handler. He was the purse holder. He was the one that had, here. Uh, he probably had a purse. You know, he's all holding it. He's all, here, let's go like that. And no, he had the money. He had the money bag. See, Lydia's got the money. Not really. I'm just kidding. And he goes, hey, that money could have been given, that money, that could have been sold and you could have put money into our money purse here and we could have done something good with it. Do you think that they were concerned about the poor at that moment? There's no way on earth. There's no way on earth. See, she cared about the value, the worth of Jesus Christ over man's opinion and over her own items. The religious people couldn't care about the glory, couldn't care less about the glory of Jesus in honoring him. All they cared about was their own glory. Two things won't be done. You can expect two things if you follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Number one, you can you can expect to follow Jesus as someone who sees that's not correct. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Um I don't know why it's out of order. <laughs> that doesn't. I'm like messed up because my notes are all messed up. Um, there we go. Okay. So I'm sorry. I apologize. That's going to be weird. Um, when you see the glory of Jesus, he redefines what you find valuable. That's why you should put numbers on your notes. When you see the glory of Jesus, he redefines what you find valuable. See, I want you to think about Judas Iscariot for just a moment, because I want to go back to that verse. Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priest to arrange to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted when they heard why he had come, and they promised to give him money, 30 pieces of silver. So he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Judas, do you think Judas loved Jesus? Of course. Do you think Jesus loved Judas? Of course. They wouldn't have spent three years together if they didn't. But somewhere along the line, Judas cared more about man's opinion and valuables and all sorts of different stuff, more than Jesus. So all he did for these last couple days is look for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Now, as we do close, finally, when you value Jesus above all things, there's two things that you can expect. Number one is that expect that others will say that your life is wasteful. People don't understand people who follow Jesus with everything. Like, Dwayne, you're so zealous. You're zealous for God. Don't you have anything else better to do? Don't you, don't, you, don't you care about this opportunity or that opportunity or this thing or that thing? Why are you so zealous for God? You can expect some people that they're going to say, you know what, you're wasting your life. But you can expect, also expect Jesus to say that your life is beautiful, that your worship is beautiful, that what you're doing with your life is beautiful. If I were to die today... I would want someone to say, 
Joel saw the value in God and he spent his life in God. And you know what? There's for sure he did not waste his life. He, he honored God with his life. That's my goal in my life. And I'm, I'm asking God, help me. Help me to see the value and the worth and the majesty and the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a valuable God. Help us to see that. Help us to admit it. Help us to see the fact that you, your opinion matters over all. And when you see us, when you see us face to face, you'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. You'll look at our life and you'll say, you lived a life, it was beautiful. You were just like that woman. She did a beautiful thing to, to, to you. And we want to live the same kind of life that she did. That everything else is very minimal compared to you. Your glory is above all. Your kingdom above all. We thank you for each person here. I pray for blessing on them as they go. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Love you guys. Wednesday night, small groups.